Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. Welcome to episode three with Nikki Harrison about grief. I've had three conversations with Nikki about grief. And if you haven't listened to the two previous one, please do. There are no orders. Of course, you can listen to episode three before two and before one. In each conversation, we try to go deeper into understanding grief and trying to help you understand what you're feeling and what you could do to just feel this pain in a healthy way. I hope you will share this podcast with as many people as you know would need to hear my conversation with Nikki. Thank you for being with us. Hello, Nikki, again, and thank you so much for coming again for episode three of Everything We Want to Know About Grief. I've been thinking a lot in between each episode we had, because as you know, what has happened for me this year has been very difficult to cope with. And for some reason, it seems to have brought up many, many old griefs that I had experienced in my life over the last uh, 15 years. For people who don't know yet or didn't listen to the previous episodes or, you know, we have lost a lot of family members. I come from Lebanon and I've experienced lots of losses, even though or consider myself extremely blessed and privileged in so many ways. These losses, since we had to fly out of the country, leaving people behind, losing people during the war, then so many accidents, people dying, suffering, losing their homes, etc., etc. And I lost a sister who herself lost a son. And I just grew up really wondering about grief and as you know, in my previous questions and episode, I keep asking you, why do you think some people cope better than others with grief? And what is it we could share with our listeners if they're going through this of what not to do and what to do to cope with grief and assimilate it and live it fully? Because we know now that if we escape these feelings, it will catch up with us. And the truth is, if you don't live grief properly, you will never have a good quality of life because there will be something very heavy that you're carrying. And for people who have not lost anyone, this is just wonderful. And I just would like also to be helpful to them in discussing a little bit 
what is death really? Because when you're prepared to death and you are less scared about it, I think you live the grief when it comes because we're all going to go through it one way or another. I think we live it in a much more healthy way when we are prepared and we know about it. The first question I would love to to ask you is, in your experience, because you've lived a lot of, you, you've went through grief and as we know, you've just dedicated a lot of your time and life to understand about grief. Why do you think some people, and I know many, and I think I'm one of them, after 12 and 13 years, you realize that there is still something that you can't get over about losing someone? Or maybe you're going to say to me, this is a normal feeling to have. Can you talk a little bit more about it? Yes, thank you. It's a real joy to to just be sitting here back with you again. And yeah, as you were sharing, Lara, I was just so struck by layers of your life that I didn't even yet know. And I think what's interesting is the depths of each individual life is so full of loss and heartache and and also love and joy but it's the challenges that I think are so interesting to be reminded of that each and every person has and has lived through and it's still a surprise to me even though as you say I I I have and I do Mm -hmm. dedicate my life to to grief work it's still an ongoing reminder when I sit with somebody and really hear what it is that they've what they've been through. And I guess I'm just kind of taken back to that remembering now in this moment because we you know we know each other pretty well now, but I didn't know layers of that story. And this does kind of link full circle to the question you've just asked, I feel, which is no wonder it's still it's parts of our selves still feel fragmented. Yeah. When we haven't really had the space or the guidance or the support to integrate and be with those stories fully. I actually love the idea that we never really get over anything, particularly the really life-changing events and experiences that we have. So getting over it, I don't think is the goal anyway, but certainly moving forward kind of with it Um, is something that I feel with the right support and and space and language, I think we can get to. So it's healthy to normalize this feeling that keeps living in you. Because I wonder sometimes if I'm normal to just some days wake up and my latest loss, my best friend, I really feel lost some days, you know, I just think, but wait a second. So where is she? And, you know, how, how am I, how am I going to tell her this? And how is she? And I know lots of people say you can talk to, to them. They'll listen. They'll answer you. And it's not working with me, Nikki. I just, mm. I don't hear Maya. I, I, I don't hear her talk. Sometimes things happen that looks like a miracle. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, 
maybe that's Maya. That's her talk because I, especially lately, going through lots of changes in my life and there are things that I find impossible to Mm. cope with and handle. And then suddenly I realize that it's much easier if something happens and it looks much easier than I thought. And maybe that's part of how they communicate with us. But um, what can we say to people that are suffering like this and maybe sometime more, maybe sometime they're even more lonely than what I am because I'm very lucky. I have you, I have my kids, I have Mm. so many mentors I can talk to. I have friends, other friends, and some people are on their own in this. What can you say to them that could help them? I guess in, in this moment, speaking speaking with you and hearing hearing your heart and hearing your voice and hearing your longing, I just feel to speak directly to you, love, which is to fully sit beside you and Imagine wrapping an arm around you and just saying, of course. Yeah. Of course you have days when you wake up and feel lost and confused and longing and angry because you want to speak to Maya. And that is the messy humanness of grief. You know, I think we're not trying to sugarcoat that or, or move away from that. Being human is full of these heartaches and and losses and they're not easy and they take us as you described to the most existential questions yeah where do people go after they die where are they yeah can I still feel them I think I can in moments and then it goes months and I hear nothing yeah and and so I think you know you said am I normal yes yes you are it's that this isn't really spoken about enough but all of the kaleidoscope of of expression and emotion is a part of it yeah and I think where the practice and understanding of grief work and grief tending is that is that we hold it all so we hold this this human you know aching heart within us that really doesn't know what's going on yeah but what we can also do in conversations like we're having now and, and increasingly it's coming into more and more spaces is we can lean into the other side of, of grief, which is how are we being taken closer to intimacy? Yeah. Even if it's painful, you know, uh-huh. being fully alive, being fully intimate, being fully seen. You know, all of us that's been in a you know, very sort of intimate, deep relationship will know it's actually quite a painful, edgy place <laughs> to be seen in those depths. And and people are scared of you when you're expressing your pain. I, I, I don't know sure. if you've noticed that. I feel people don't know what to do. They want to, they always want to fix you. But sometimes you just want to, to just express your pain and just say, look, I'm feeling that. And I don't know, I'm feeling I'm scaring people sometimes. They're scared of themselves. We're all mirrors to each other. And when you share the depth of your grief and your pain if the person listening to you is not comfortable with theirs yeah which again is like you know like we've said in the other conversations oh my goodness no judgment you in fact total understanding and compassion yeah because that's not the world we live in yet so actually what they are unconsciously expressing to you is, is fear of their own grief, their own depth, yeah. their own pain. 
in my experience that those of us that have have met you know as deep as we meet ourselves is 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 as deep as we can meet another uh-huh. and of course i layer on the 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 total humanness of of when we're sitting with somebody that we deeply love it's really difficult to see them in pain yeah. and not try and jump in to try and fix it and for me this is where the, the kind of grief tending practice comes in again and again it's the reminder that we all need to give to each other the permission of I don't need you to fix me yeah just yeah. need you to be with me mm-hmm and you 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 find it useful to say that to them or just somehow explain by your um, attitude to them or you know because it becomes awkward sometimes you know they just try to say something or give you an advice that i, I don't think is very appropriate or useful and uh, you try to change the subject you know what i mean yeah it's painful it's um yeah. I describe this idea that there are kind of um, two layers to our grief. Yeah. There's the experience that happened to us, whether that be something kind of explicitly acute, like losing somebody we love, or it can be complicated and something that occurs over a long period of time, either because of what's happened or what hasn't happened. You know, we can grieve for the things we did not receive yeah. and the things that we longed for and the things from decades ago. All of these different types of grief are kind of the first layer. It's like what did or did not happen. Um, and then there's a second layer of how was that grief met and supported and welcomed by those around us? Okay. And that can be as simple as, you know, was it acknowledged? Was it invited? Especially if something happened to us as a child, was it was it kind of you know, in some ways coaxed out of us. Like we we need to be with people who can actually draw our grief out of us sometimes because mm. we don't always know how to do it ourselves. But this secondary grief, this second layer, I think is actually where a lot of the deeper wounding happens. It's like the experiences of losing people and and so many other expressions of grief. Um, that is like the inevitable part of being human. It is also what makes life so sacred and and incredibly gorgeous because we know that nothing is permanent at all, including ourselves. Mm-hmm. But this secondary grief of was I met? Was my grief shunned? Was it exiled? Did I just sense that it wasn't welcome? Did I feel like people were trying to fix me subtly, even with the best intentions? And over time, that's when I feel like there's a fragmentation within us because we separate our true depth and expression of grief in order to kind of fit in. It's almost a nervous system, a social nervous system reaction. So we pretend we're okay, you mean? Yeah. 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 Or we isolate, you know? Yeah. Or we, we do like we do with other kind of pain, like um, get addictions probably. Yeah, and, and Huge, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that can be addiction to obviously substances, but it, yeah. but it can equally be addicted to um, work, yeah. to the feeling of success, to socializing. It doesn't have to include partying, just busyness. 
yeah. it can be addicted to to philanthropy, to, to serving others. Yeah. I, you know, I definitely can see how in the early days of the grief space project that I run, you know, how much of it was was me trying to kind of solve my own pain by helping others rather than sitting with my own like I'm I'm sure I had a part to play in it yeah and none of this is wrong but it's just something to really notice yeah can I just ask you Nikki for example when we tend to do that the reason why it's not healthy because you're right it's not the word wrong wouldn't be appropriate but Mm. it's not very healthy to do it we know it intuitively I know sometimes when I'm trying to do, for example, I sit, I start feeling the pain coming and I rush to the TV and I want want to desperately find a movie that's going to distract me from this. Something in me is happy saying, yes, yes, do that. That's great. You you don't need to sit and feel this horrible pain. And some other part of me say, oh, Lara, you're you're delaying. Just do the work now. Why do you want to do it tomorrow? But... Can I talk to you about that part? Why is it always going to have to come back? Like Mm. uh, it has to be felt and why is it healthier to be felt? Yeah. Well, what you're describing is absolutely universal. You know, I've, I've sat with hundreds of people experiencing all different types of grief and this feeling of, of confliction of, I want, to sit with it and I know that that's what's needed and yet I also want to distract myself and find pockets of of joy and even just kind of a neutral feeling and I actually really advocate that both are necessary I really Uh do and we can talk about this idea of of release and relief release being really allowing yourself to be with the emotion to release it through tears through anger through journaling through alone time to remembering you know so many different ways yeah and then relief being the kind of light relief you know watching Netflix cooking a meal playing with your dog right you know having having a glass of wine with a good friend who you know talking about them and we need both because it you know I almost see it a little bit like um you know it's titration like the kind of chemical (laughs) chemistry idea If, if you if you're doing a chemical reaction and you just poured the whole of one solution into another, it might explode. Uh-huh. But if you literally did it drop by drop by drop, they would be able to bond into a new form. And this is really important. You know, it works on some levels on, on the nervous system aspect of grief, which is we can't go from, from feeling dysregulated to throwing in an experience which causes us to feel everything all at once. It's to be honest, it it, it leads me on to, I I guess, a a conflict in the healing space and the workshop retreat space of people doing deep, deep cathartic work versus kind of what I do, which is slower, gentler, more grounded and possibly over a longer period of time and I think there is again there is space for a little bit of both um and I've had experiences of of the more deep cathartic healing I'm talking maybe you know a deep breathwork journey or going somewhere where there's a real focus on like releasing anger or 
you know, some people might be interested in like plant medicine ceremonies. And these are all what I would describe as like a deep dive. <laughs> would then a deep dive lead to addiction though, do you think? Or we don't know that. There is research coming out around, you know, particularly with things like plant medicine. Yeah. You know, it, it, are we just substituting one high for another? <laughs> but actually, I, and, the, and it's all to do with, you know, how is it being done? The intention, the depth of the facilitation, the reverence for the work. And also knowing your own tendencies, you know, if we do have addictive tendencies, slower, more gentle work. And to be honest, I say that, but I actually want to say that it's more, I feel for everybody. Yes, some of these deeper cathartic processes might be helpful a little, but then I would really deeply suggest engaging in something which is integrating that experience, whether that be therapy every week or whether that be coming to a grief circle every week or 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 a retreat which focuses more on community something that you said in the previous episode that really made me see much clearer in that ongoing questions i used to have why do some people deal better with grief than others of course your answer was it depends on the personality of the character of what these people had in their life how they mm-hmm. react to life in general but one of the answers that made a lot of sense to me is the people who tend to deal with their grief in a healthier way are the people who share in group with similar people that experience the same because that's very um, i think this kind of people will will not try to fix you you mm. know that have lived the same pain as you because they know they know how you you feel and you don't need there is nothing that can be done that would fix you it's just yeah. a process so that really really helped me uh, understand mm. and yet i there is always the exception isn't it and this is why it these exception make these conversation much more interesting you have people who attend groups seem to be doing the work and yet 13 12 13 14 years later they still collapse each time they think of their loved one and they don't seem to be accepting it so do you think acceptance in this form of you know healing would be important to just uh, go deeper in the acceptance that this has happened do you think it could be resistance that makes them still suffer? Do you know what? It, it's so interesting how charged these words can become yeah. <laughs> when we're talking about grief. Because for me, any sense that, there, that there's kind of a right or a wrong or or a judgment or yeah. you know and I'm not saying that's coming from you at all I'm just even noticing it in myself as we're talking about these words like acceptance or resistance it's like I'm almost kind of taken into this place within myself right now of of humility of like what do what do I even know about each and each and every person's grief process um you know I, I can I can say you know I was talking to my dad just this weekend um and he he wouldn't go near the word acceptance. Yeah. It just for yeah. him, what happened with my mom and her mental health struggles and, um, and the way that she died, you know, for him, that will never be acceptable. Uh-huh. And I get that, you know, 
And yet for me, I feel I am in a place of acceptance. But but I think we're both processing our grief. You know, my dad is someone who who hasn't really leaned into groups or therapy, mm-hmm. um, although he is actually having some now. But yeah. he he is somebody. So you were saying, you know, there are people who go to all the groups and still are really really deeply struggling. I would say my dad is someone who hasn't kind of engaged. You know, he's a he's he's from Northern England. He's not exactly like in the kind of healing spiritual world, um, although. You know, very open-minded and I would say he's someone who somehow is is processing it in their way and I guess I'm just thinking of anybody who might be listening to this and and even to you Lara is like it's how can we take almost take the question off the table how can I be grieving better or like is there is there something more I need to be doing and instead pose the question more of an exploration what is out there that could support me you know this is why I'm I'm offering a program at the moment which I'm finding so interesting it's um a six-month program called a new way to grieve Mm -hmm. and we meet every other week so 13 circles and each circle has a guest teacher who Uh comes in and shares a practice or a tool that might help you with grief and the whole premise of it, that my intention is there's no way that all 13 circles are going to help every person. We've got 30 people on the call, but, but half of them might, you know, half of the events might help each person. And they are things like breath work, meditation, trauma releasing. They are also things like forgiveness work, inner child work, yeah. understanding about the role of culture. Yeah. Understanding about herbalism, healing through sound. And I guess this this kind of comes to mind now, which is which is such a beautiful, gentle way to to explore and welcome people into the world of grief tending, is like, let's just see what works for you. Let's experiment, let's explore. But I think that the only difference is, you know, are you wanting to heal? Or do you feel like that's not possible for you? I think that's the strongest differentiator I see in people. And without, again, language is so delicate, but without being controversial, for me, it's this kind of like, are you in a victim mindset Mm. of like, oh my gosh, life is happening to me and everything is hard and everything is difficult? Or are you in the the mindset of, oh my gosh, my heart is broken Mm -hmm. and I still want to see beauty and I want to heal? And, and we fluctuate between them. <laughs> it's an ongoing mystery. Why do people find it more difficult than others to shift to that place of understanding that life is happening for me or through me rather than to me? And I, I don't know. It's just um, I really come back always to asking myself this question because deep, deep down myself, and I know it's very difficult to use some words, and I, I think you're absolutely right. It sometimes sounds like judging, but deep down myself, I find it so unfair that some people are stuck in uh, this uh, victimhood because mm. th- this is the, I think it's a level of awareness. It can be so many things, and um, here I am being the person that I just told you a few minutes ago, I don't want people to do to me, wanting to fix 
you know, here, here I am wanting to just push mm. them out of this victimhood and say, I want to do something for you. You have to, you have to move. But it's not, it, I realize, of course, it's not up to me. Um, we don't know why. We don't know why. And all we can do, as you say, is just keep offering these spaces like you're doing amazingly. And, and I think what is, is essential to every one of us is to not feel that we are alone, mm. to not feel this abandonment, this fear of being lonely or on our own. And part of, uh, of I thought very often that my pain around losing these people that I love so much is that I feel the loneliness of not having them in my life. Mm. Because I try to ask myself very often, what is it that's so painful? Is mm. it that they're missing missing out on living here? Are you are you are you hurting for them not being here anymore? Are you hurting because you're not getting what they were giving you anymore? Mm. Are they, you know it's very hard to know. Is it selfish to grieve? Is it like a sign of selfishness? Mm. So it is a very interesting, I think, really interesting world to dive into. Because the more I talk to you about it, the more I dived into the, I don't want to say easier, but it's like when I think about my griefs and my losses, it doesn't feel so tragic like before, mm -hmm. you know? I can... I, f I don't feel, I feel you understand, you, you've you lived it, you went through it. I'm not alone and all of this. So mm. I don't know if this is helpful at all, but I think yeah. reaching out and talking about it is very important and not be scared to scare others. Just maybe tell them we're okay. We just need to talk about it. Yeah. That's yeah. it. There's a few things stirring for me as you just shared that and, and it's interesting that you said for yourself that you keep coming back to the question why is it that some people are, are still really struggling yes and, and really stuck in it and that really interests me because it, if if it you know if you keep coming back to that question yeah what does what it what do you feel why do you feel for for you that it that it keeps showing up as something that you feel responsible for or because the the reason why is um when it comes up to me like uh, am i struggling because they're not giving me anymore what they used to give me because the, the the pain itself is intriguing me. Like, why mm. am I in pain? Mm. I, I just I just feel like analyzing this pain sometimes. Am I in pain because I'm I for I'm gonna take Maya's example. Am I in pain because Maya is not enjoying this this uh, this world anymore? Her five senses, her emotions, her feelings, her children. How do I know? Maybe where she is is. I actually, I'm sure where she is, is a hundred times more uh, deep and amazing than what we're living here. Mm. But that's my own belief. You know, I can't just uh, say that for sure, obviously. Or my pain is it because I have so many things that Maya was doing with me 
and to me and for me in this life. And I don't have that anymore. Mm. Is it selfish? Is it? And honestly, Nikki, I don't know the answer. And the other people I'm thinking about that are still struggling 12 years later for, mm. for example, losing their mom. It's the biggest pain. Like every time something surfaced in their lives, all they want is their mom to be there next to them. Mm. I was just curious to know, is it something that we haven't processed properly that makes us feel that, or is it normal? Because what you would want is that when you are in, in a very big difficulty in this world, you don't have to just sulk and, and just uh, sit and want your mom right now, because it makes it even harder to live what you're living. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. that was the reason why I'm intrigued and I asked the question, is there something mm. we can do to help them or just to say, oh, probably, I, I don't know, it's just normal. It's a normal feeling. Yeah, I really, I, I hear the deeper question. Yeah. And ultimately, I, I wonder if it comes back to how can we just trust each and every person's process? Mm hmm even when it looks from the outside like they are suffering in a way that, that we feel yeah. perhaps we could help. But actually to really deeply, again, it's like lean into the trust of life yeah. that for some reason each and every person is, that is their path that they are choosing. And instead we put our energy and our efforts mm -hmm. into living and breathing and, and being the example of what it means when when we do lean into our grief in these ways and you know I've actually had a really beautiful experience with a friend recently we went on a retreat together in the summer and we definitely dropped about 10 layers in in mm. terms of being it she was really able to drop into her grief in a different way we were able to connect as a friendship in a different way and we've been friends for eight years you know, and it's yeah. taken that time for us to speak the same language. I and mean, we've been very close like, all that time, but I really yeah. felt a shift. So, and she said to me, you know, uh, she said, thank you for just, you know, just being you and doing you. And I knew I could kind of yeah. explore this when I was ready. Interestingly, I had another conversation with a, with a grief work, a grief practitioner. She does beautiful mm -hmm. movement classes for people experiencing grief. Yeah. And she was saying that... um she had a, a very big loss, very traumatic loss about a year ago. And, and she just said something like, you know, my grief is nothing like people expect it to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I hear that a little bit, a little bit in you, Lara, which is you're, you're so inquisitive about what is this grief, mm -hmm. you know, and, and mm -hmm. is it the kind of bitter pain and loneliness of, of not having my best friend here anymore or mm -hmm. are there other textures and layers to it too and and my feeling and my sense is it's all of it you know mm -hmm. it's not one or the other mm -hmm. and and it's really beautiful to give yourself full permission to be in the inquiry of what really what even is grief like what is this feeling what are what is this this depth that I'm being taken to and these questions that are now in my heart and it's like that beautiful Rilke poem, you know, live the question. You don't need to live the answers. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. So just go deeper in your question, basically. Try to hear the answer yourself, right? Yeah. You know the reason why I went into asking about acceptance is because sometime in other areas of, of my life, once I accept that something has happened, like I stopped fighting against it, it could mm. be anything, you know, a, fr- a friend who decides not to talk to you anymore, a husband mm. that leaves you, um, difference in a situation, financial situation you you, you live, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So if you just sit, like you're saying, in the question, like, why is this happening to me? If I sit mm-hmm. deep enough in it and just say, there isn't a necessary answer to this. It's just is. It's just is. This is what happened. And if you trust enough in the process of life, of love, of the divine and you just lean into it, it gets a bit easier. But of mm. course, I can't say that about grief because I, first of all, I I don't think I sat deep enough in my question yet. But this is why I was just intrigued to see if maybe that could work as well for grief. Maybe the word is not right, but some form of trust and yeah, acceptance that that happened would be maybe what is, for example, left in that friend of mine who's still really struggling from the loss of her mother, which Mm -hmm. happened 12, 13 years ago. Is it because sometime in that moment she finds it very difficult to accept that she doesn't have a mom anymore? Mm. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And I would also wonder if, if, you know, often if people feel like the, the grief is very acute so many years later yeah i would i often notice and, and suggest that it's because it also hasn't been seen yeah it hasn't yeah. been fully seen in a way in the way that they need it to be fully seen um, like uh, by them or by uh, not acknowledge the pain that they need other to acknowledge their pain or seen by them what i would do you say mean? both And also kind of seen in the universal sense of like, that's what's so beautiful about ritual or ceremony. You you bring your grief to a grief ritual. Who sees it? You, the other people in the group, the earth, the water, the stars, you know, the fire. It's like, it's really seen. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. I just found the, um, the full Wilka quote, which I feel to read. Would that be okay? Yes, please. I just have it in a book here next to me. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Would you mind sending this to me, please? Mm, So I can share it as well. And um, Nikki, can you just say uh, what you have planned in the near future? Do you have uh, 
some rituals, plans. You just talked about uh, a grief circle you're organizing for six months. Did you say that? Yeah, that's already halfway through at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But we'll definitely be running it again um, sort of early 2024. Yeah. And that yeah. is all on your website? Yeah, all on my website. We've got, yeah, there's always a mix of um, in-person retreats, um, weekend gatherings, online journeys, um, and, and also one-to-one -one work. So yeah, I would just say, rather than going into what, what's coming up now, just yeah, to look the grief, for, yes, the grief space, the grief space um, .com. Yes, yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Nikki, for mm, being here. Um, it's been a real joy. It's been, you know, I don't know if it's appropriate to say that, but in all this pain, having uh, been led to you to meet you and work with you has been a real blessing mm. and uh, i'm really very grateful to your work to you and to you making people so many people feel less alone mm. it's just a gift thank you so much and i hope we'll have more conversations in the future yeah thank yeah. you likewise lara thank you for your beautiful heart and for inviting me here thank you Thank you very much for listening. Please do subscribe to the Deeper Eye podcast. You can sign up also to have notification each time we have a new episode out. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Nikki Harrison from thegriefspace.com for sharing all your knowledge about grief and for giving us all these advice, very precious advice about how to cope and deal with our pain when we go through grief.